Section 34 of Insurgent Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Margaret Espayat. Insurgent Mexico by John Reed. Part 34. Between Attacks. A People in Arms. Chapter 10. About a mile back the flight was stopped. I met the soldiers coming back, with the relieved expression of men who have feared an unknown danger, and been suddenly set free from it. That was always Villa's power. He could explain things to the great mass of ordinary people in a way that they immediately understood. The Federals, as usual, had failed to take advantage of their opportunity to inflict a lasting defeat upon the Constitutionalists. Perhaps they feared an ambush like the one Villa had arranged at Mapula, when the victorious Federals sallied out to pursue Villa's fleeing army after the first attack on Chihuahua, and were repulsed with heavy slaughter. Anyway, they did not come out. The men came straggling back, hunting in the mesquite for their guns and blankets, and for other people's guns and blankets. You could hear them shouting and joking all over the plain. Oiga, what are you doing with that rifle? That's my water-bag. I dropped my serape right here by this bush, and now it's gone. Oh, Juan, cried one man to another, I always told you I could beat you running. But you didn't, compadre. I was a hundred meters ahead, flying through the air like a cannonball. The truth was that, after riding twelve hours the day before, fighting all night, and all morning in the blazing sun, under the frightful strain of charging an entrenched force in the face of artillery and machine-guns. Without food, water, or sleep, the army's nerve had suddenly given way. But from the time that they returned after the flight, the ultimate result was never in doubt. The psychological crisis was past. Now the rifle-fire had altogether ceased, and even cannon-shots from the enemy were few and far between. At the ditch under the first line of trees our men entrenched themselves. The artillery had withdrawn to the second line of trees a mile back, and under the grateful shade the men threw themselves heavily down and slept. The strain had snapped. As the sun rose toward noon, the desert, hill, and town throbbed silently in the intense heat. Sometimes an exchange of shots far to the right or left told where the outposts were exchanging compliments, but even that soon stopped. In the cotton and cornfields to the north, among the sprouting green things, insects chirped. The birds sang no more because of the heat. It was breathless. The leaves stirred in no wind. Here and there little fires smoked, where the soldiers rolled tortillas from the scanty flour they had brought in their saddle-bags, and those who didn't have any swarmed around baking a crumb. Everybody simply and generously divided the food. I was hailed from a dozen fires with, Hey, compañero, have you breakfasted? Here's a piece of my tortilla. Come and eat. Rows of men lay on their stomachs along the irrigation ditch, scooping up the dirty water in their palms. Three or four miles back we could see the cannon-car and the first two trains, opposite the big ranch of El Bergel, with the tireless repair gang 
hard at it in the hot sun. The provision train had not come up yet. Little Colonel Servine came by, perched on an immense bay horse, still dapper and fresh after the terrible work of the night. "'I don't know what we shall do yet,' he said. "'Only the general knows that, and he never tells. "'But we shall not assault again until the Brigada Zaragoza returns. "'Benavides has had a hard battle over there at Sacramento. Two hundred and fifty of ours killed, they say. "'And the general has sent for General Robles and General Contreras, "'who have been attacking from the south to bring up all their men and join him here.' They say, though, that we are going to deliver a night attack next, so that their artillery won't be effective. He galloped on. About midday, thin columns of sluggish, dirty smoke began to rise from several points in the town, and toward afternoon a slow, hot wind brought to us the faintly sickening smell of crude oil mingled with scorched human flesh. The Federals were burning piles of the dead. We walked back to the trains and stormed General Benavides' private car in the Brigada Zaragoza train. The major in charge had them cook us something to eat in the general's kitchen. We ate ravenously and afterward went along the line of trees and slept for hours. Late in the afternoon we started once more for the front. Hundreds of soldiers and peons of the neighborhood, ravenously hungry, prowled around the trains hoping to pick up discarded food or slops or anything at all to eat. They were ashamed of themselves, however, and affected a sauntering indolence when we passed. I remember that we sat for a while talking with some soldiers on top of a box-car, when a boy, criss-crossed with cartridge belts and lugging a huge rifle, came past beneath, his eyes searching the ground. A stale tortilla, half-rotting, crunched into the dirt by many passing feet, caught his attention. He pounced upon it and bit a piece out. Then he looked up and saw us. "'As if I were dying of hunger,' he said scornfully, and tossed it away with contempt. Down in the shade of the Alamos, across the ditch from San Ramon, the Canadian Captain Treston was bivouacked with his machine-gun battery. The guns with their heavy tripods were unloaded from the mules, and all around lay the unlimbered field-pieces, their animals grazing in the rich green fields, the men squatted around their fires, or lying stretched out on the bank of the ditch. Treston waved an ashy tortilla he was munching, and bawled, "'Say, read! Please come here and interpret for me. I can't find my interpreters, and if we go into action I'll be in a hell of a fix.' You see, I don't know the damn language, and when I came down here, Bia hired two interpreters to go around with me all the time, and I can't ever find the sons of guns. They always go off and leave me in a hole. I took part of the proffered delicacy and asked him if he thought there was any chance of going into action. I think we'll go in tonight as soon as it's dark, he answered. Do you want to go along with the machine guns and interpret? I said I did. A ragged man near the fire, whom I had never seen before, rose and came across smiling. "'I thought when I looked at you that you seemed to be an hombre who hadn't tasted tobacco for a while. Will you take half my cigarette?' Before I could protest, 
he produced a lopsided brown cigarette and tore it across in two pieces. The sun went gloriously down behind the notched purple mountains in front of us, and for a minute a clean fan of quivering light poured up the high arc of stainless sky. The birds awoke in the trees, leaves rustled. A fertile land exhaled a pearly mist. A dozen ragged soldiers lying close together began to improvise the air and words of a song about the Battle of Torreon. A new ballad was being born. Other singing came to us through the still, cool dusk. I felt my whole being going out to these gentle, simple people, so lovable they were. It was just after I had been to the ditch for a drink that Treston said casually, "'By the way, one of our men found this floating in the ditch a little while ago. I can't read Spanish, so I didn't know what the word meant. You see, the water from these ditches all comes from the river inside the town, so I thought it might be a federal paper.' I took it from his hand. It was a little folded white piece of wet paper, like the corner in front of a package. In large black letters was printed on the front, Arsenico, and in smaller type, Cuidado, Veneno, Arsenic, Beware, Poison. Look here, I demanded, sitting up suddenly. Have there been any sick people around here this evening? That's funny you're asking, he said. A good many of the men have had bad cramps in the stomach, and I don't feel altogether well. Just before you came, a mule suddenly keeled over and died in that next field, and a horse across the ditch. Fatigue or sunstroke, probably. Fortunately, the ditch carried a large body of swiftly running water, so the danger was not great. I explained to him that the Federals had poisoned the ditch. "'My God,' said Treston. Perhaps that is what they were trying to tell me. About twenty people have come up to me and said something about envenenado. What does that mean? That's what it means, I answered. Where can we get about a quart of strong coffee? We found a great can of it at the nearest fire and felt better. Oh, yes, we knew, said the men. That is why we watered the animals at the other ditch. We heard long ago. They say that ten horses are dead down in front, and that many men are rolling very sick on the ground. An officer on horseback rode by, shouting that we were all to go back to El Bergel and camp there beside the trains for the night, that the general had said that every one but the advance guards were to get a good night's sleep out of the zone of fire, and that the commissary train had come up and was just behind the hospital train. Bugles sounded and the men struggled up off the ground, catching mules, fastening their harness on, amid shouting and braying and jingling, saddling horses and limbering guns. Treston got on his pony, and I walked along beside him. So there was to be no night attack then. It was now almost dark. Across the ditch we fell in with the shadowy forms of a company of soldiers trotting northward, all muffling blankets and big hats and ringing spurs. They hailed me. Hey, compañero, where's your horse? I admitted I had none. Jump up behind me, then, chimed in five or six altogether. One pulled up right beside me, and I mounted with him. We jogged on through the mesquite, 
and across a dim, lovely field. Someone began to sing, and two more joined in. A round, full moon bubbled up in the clear night. Oiga, how do you say mula in English? asked my horseman. God damn stubborn fathead mule, I told him. And for days entire, strangers would stop me and ask me, with roars of laughter, how the Americans said mula. Around the ranch of El Bergel, the army was encamped. We rode into a field dotted with fires, where aimless soldiers wandered around in the dark, shouting to know where the Brigada González Ortega was, or José Rodríguez's gente, or the ametralladoras. Townward, the artillery was unlimbering in a wide, alert half-circle, guns pointing south. To the east, the camp of Benavides' Brigada Zaragoza, just arrived from Sacramento, made an immense glow in the sky. From the direction of the provision train, a long ant-like file of men bore sacks of flour, coffee, and packages of cigarettes. A hundred different singing choruses swelled up into the night. It comes to my mind with particular vividness how I saw a poor poisoned horse suddenly double up and fall, thrashing. How we passed a man, bent to the ground in the darkness, vomiting violently. How, after I had rolled up on the ground in my blankets, terrible cramps suddenly wrenched me, and I crawled out away into the brush and didn't have the strength to crawl back. In fact, until gray dawn, I rolled very sick on the ground. End of section 34